0: This is episode 123 of the Landscape Photography Show and on this podcast episode we're talking with photographer Michael Gordon and I was really interested to talk to Michael not only because of his unique black and white style of the California desert but also some of the things that I read on his website about not only photographers learning to say no and how to educate the public about why we should do so but also how he got into photography some work with the forest unit and also various things that he likes to do to spend more time outdoors than behind a computer. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Michael Gordon. Michael joining us today. Uh, Michael, for anyone who's unfamiliar with you and and doesn't really know about your photography, what you're passionate about, and and maybe even what your style is, why don't you fill us in on how you started in photography and and what kind of led you down the path to where you are now? Sure. Thank you for the invite, David. Hopefully, I don't talk
1: too long about this stuff. Um, Let's see. I've been a photographer now for about 30 years. I've been earning my living as a full-time professional photographer for coming up on 14 years, and I've actually been earning an income from photography for now 25 years. The first time I licensed a photo was 25 years ago. And obviously, my background is in film. Uh, I've worked with every camera format, including today DSLR. I still shoot with a 4x5-inch view camera as well. Those are my two primary kits, 4x5 and DSLR. I've been teaching workshops for about 17 years, 17 years. And for at least a decade now, I've uh, been doing something called Death Valley Photo Tours, where I take uh, hobbyist and amateur and professional photographers into places they wish to reach inside Death Valley National Park. And, um, my subject matter now today is in almost entirely the california desert and i'm sure we'll we'll talk at some length about this stuff but i it's a niche that uh, i've put myself into and it's really the only place i want to work now Um, i'm a california native and i've been exploring my state for as long as i've had a driver's license and it's led me to every corner of the state and um, yeah about uh, 15 years ago I decided I would make the California desert my niche and as you probably know from looking at my website I largely present myself as a black and white photographer. Um, I work both in color and black and white but largely my desert work is all black and white so obviously if I'm focused on the desert the majority of the work I'm i'm from uh, producing today is black and white um yeah i'm working both in film and uh dslr and uh my style boy david i i really don't know what that is i i uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what other people would say my style is um uh i would say that uh, By and large, there isn't anything that I shoot that is not nature and landscape, but the size of my images runs from the tiny to the grand landscape. Um, I think stylistically, if I could venture anything... um, my work just tends to look, well, it looks like my work. I know it doesn't look like the most of the contemporary work that I see online. I don't know how to stylistically call it. Um, but I enjoy what I produce, and it's the niche I
0: work in. And I hopefully answered most of those questions that were bundled together. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, definitely. It, I, was, I was curious, do you remember like a point where you were taking a photograph and you were just like wow this is this is really me this is what i need to do
1: I well, not a particular photograph, but I think at least specifically with the California desert, I realized there was a a unique uh, niche here for me to pursue, and one that really I hadn't seen done with a camera. There's lots of uh, interesting literary works that have come from the California desert um, that have greatly inspired what I do, the words of authors, in fact, words that go back 110 to 120 years are a great inspiration for the work that I do um, on the on the desert um, but and I'm sorry David I already forgot your question
0: yeah just that yeah. moment like if I oh, think yeah. back to, to my <laughs> photography like it's it's forests that I was photographing trying to figure out what I could do differently and a lot of people you know, can can remember back to a trip or a moment or, or even a camera that they first picked up that they were like, I could really get into photography for a while?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think with my desert work, I, I think one P- particular photograph was a pivotal one for me. It was uh, Joshua Trees uh, in a random place in the Mojave Desert and it was with a medium format film kit. And that was probably the very first photograph that I made in the desert. That was both a combination of visualization. It was something I had watched for a long time and waited for the uh, perfect moment to arrive um, for to make that photograph. And then the result photograph i think really uh, uh, spun me down this this desert wormhole and in fact that photograph i call uh, joshua trees and in indian summer sky and that photograph is about 20 years old more than 20 years old now and it was a, that was probably the pivotal photograph that sent me entirely on this desert venture and um yeah. And, you know, and, and, words too, like I had mentioned earlier, it's a, it's, it's a big, both, both words and my photographs are a big inspiration for what I do on the desert.
0: When you think back, I mean, 30 years photographing, it is a pretty significant chunk of time. Uh, and, and this is a big question I know, but, but when you think back to, to starting out, like, let's just take that image for example, to the last image that you took on your camera how do you think you've changed as a photographer
1: well uh i probably started no differently than than most photographers um in fact i I started as what could be called just a a a shutterbug i photographed anything and everything. And for the record, for anybody old enough, my very first camera was the the Canon AE-1, which was a a very popular student camera in high school and junior high schools across the country. And I think it might still be one of Canon's best-selling cameras. That was my very first camera, a Canon AE-1 35mm film camera. And I basically pointed my camera at anything in nature that was interesting to me. And I know, I made tons of horrible photographs, most of them unremarkable, and I think I don't even have anything from 30 years ago today. Um, And then the progressive path course of my photography was that I increasingly whittled away things that became less less interesting to me. And I began to think far less like a hobbyist and much more like a professional artist Um, and Recognized that there was, you know, potentially a future in photography. Um, and uh- So uh, now today, my photography is very deliberate. Um, I really don't photograph uh, much of anything unless it's something that I actually want to develop. Um, The last thing I want to do is just collect pixels. Um, And it's too time consuming, as you know, to sit at a computer and edit uh, hundreds of frames. So today, my photography is very intentional, I think, as a fine artist, and I am really wanting to only uh, make captures of things that I'm going to develop into something that I would ultimately want to print. Um, My work is much more expressive today. It's um, It's not a representation of what simply came before me or the camera, but it's a result of my interaction with the landscape or imagination in the landscape. I like to use a lot of metaphor in my photographs. And being that Uh, my photographs take place on a barren and largely arid desert I often use these deserts as uh, something like a science fiction like palette for my photographs and so it it, it drives the look of the photographs and even the titles that I use in some of my photographs
0: what's a good example of a, a metaphor in a photograph A photograph that stands as a substitute
1: for a feeling, an idea, or a concept of something else rather than the literal content of the uh, photograph. Um, And I don't know why, but to give you an example off my website, uh, this one just popped into my head. I have an unfinished series of work that I call uh, The American Dream. You won't find the portfolio on my website, but you'll find those images inside my desert collection. And I started that series before the Great Recession, so pre-2008 or so, and around 2008 or so, I actually realized how... uh, how distinctly the, those photographs and their titles related to the, the that Great Depression that was hitting America and lots of people were foreclosing on their homes. And in short, the American dream is old desert homestead houses um, that have been abandoned to time and the elements and nature is taking them back. Um, and those photographs, are, obviously, there's nothing very illuminating or exciting about photographing desert to dilapidated desert shacks. But the photographs stand as a metaphor for much bigger things that were happening at that time. And actually, they really can stand for much of American life today. It's, it's changed very, very drastically. But yeah, so metaphor is using the content of the photograph to represent my feelings or different ideas altogether that have nothing to do with the literal subject matter.
0: You know, I'm curious, because I've gotten responses from from telling people that I'm going out to photograph in the desert. If somebody doesn't know you, and you're telling them about what you do for the first time, what's the usual response that you get? When you're like, well, I'm going to take black and white photos of the desert.
1: Uh, it might be one of two. One might be, uh, well, why would you do that? (laughs) Um, the second one I've heard a lot when I, when I show my work is something to the effect that, well, you just, so you drive around and you look for pretty things to photograph, huh? Um, But, uh, the, the way I, I work is I don't, I don't have any preconceptions when I go into the field. Um, I'm simply looking for things that, that move me at that moment. And I'm often, um, creating fictionalized stories about the content of that image while I'm working with it. And often the title comes at the very same time. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, I think um, it it obviously, as far as deserts go and landscape photography goes, largely what people think about is Utah as desert, right? Red Rock Desert. And everybody loves to go to Southern Utah. Um, Fortunately, the California desert minus Death Valley and Joshua Tree National Park Nobody seems to have an interest in these places, which I really enjoy. And a part of the issue, of course, is um, access and services and you know, it goes without saying that outside of Death Valley National Park, there are not a whole lot of well-known icons or locations in the California desert that would draw photographers to them. So by and large, I feel like I have a massive palette, rather 25% of the state of California is largely wild desert. And it's a, it's a vast palette for me to work with in my photographs.
0: I just I get the the image of my sister in law when I told her I was going to Death Valley recently uh, in in January and she said, "Well, why are, why are you even going there?" And I was like, "Well, you know, they, they've got some really great mud out there," and she just kind of looked at me with this bewildered look. It, it's it's funny that that we go out and shoot these places that a lot of people don't want to go. And, and you're talking about going to places that, that are really hard to get to outside of Joshua Tree and Death Valley. Would you say for, for yourself that, that scouting is one of your strong suits? I'd say experiencing
1: is what I do. I don't hmm. actually scout in the respect that I go look for something that I can come back at another time You know, maybe when the light is right, I am generally a photographer who is reactive to what comes before me at a very particular moment. So it's, I'll often remake the same photograph a number of times through revisits, but scouting isn't what I do as much as simply living on the land and having their photographs, having my photographs find their way to me as a result of that interaction with the land
0: um, yeah, that's my short answer. It's just really hard to get to those places. I feel like if I was scouting something or, or reacting, I would want to take the image then rather than make a note to come back at another time.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, f- for sure, you know, and well, and of course, so I live in Southern California, so I have an ease of access to most of the California desert that, that lots of people do not. Um, and, uh, you know, a big part of my photograph is, living with the land and so i consider myself a naturalist and explorer as much as i would consider myself a photographer and i feel that all of my photographs are a result of my life spent naturalizing with and exploring the california desert or most of the landscape Um, and you know uh, what i don't do unlike a lot of my colleagues is write about my escapades and really uh, explain how I do what I do, but um, like a like a lot of folks, I I live in the field for any number of days on end i camp wherever i am i make no plans to camp where you know at a, a particular place wherever i decide to set myself for the remainder of a day is where i decide to camp for the night and that's often right next to or really close to a photograph um, so for me a big part of the a big part of the photography is just being present on the land and experiencing it, everything it has to offer. And my photographs come as a result of that experience. I tend to never force a photograph and I don't want to contrive a photograph. It either exists in my imagination at that moment or it doesn't at all.
0: What you're describing is a really unique personality. I feel like one that, that a lot of people, don't have uh, these traits or that very few people know somebody who can just go and and roam wherever and then uh just camp for a night were you always like this uh, even as a kid
1: (laughs) yeah and you know so before we started uh running the uh the recording david i i had told you i listened to previous podcasts that kind of um you know Get a little tune up on what we could discuss or what i should discuss and i i, I recognize that um i've come at my photography um from a, a perhaps a, a, a Bit a different direction than a lot of other photographers, and that um, from <laughs> from my earliest years, all I ever really wanted to do was fart around on the landscape. I didn't uh, <laughs> I didn't uh, go after a career. I don't have a degree. Um, my uh, growing up, my 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 biggest interests were being either a wildlife biologist, uh, park ranger, or a wilderness ranger of some. sort, or a climbing guide. And in many ways, I've sort of integrated all of those activities into what I do today. So uh, I have a a wealth of um, uh, uh, climbing, backpacking, and outdoor experience that's attended my whole adult life. And all I did was shift my former life into my photographic life. So I still do all those activities. But the camera is a part of all of those activities now. I mean, it, it, it always has been. My camera always accompanied me on every endeavor. But in the past, it was just documents. And now I think like an artist. And I'll pass up documentary photographs to instead wait for the artistic photographs that I know are laying ahead somewhere.
0: Would you say you're quote unquote living the dream? I think I'm living
1: the dream. Uh, you know, the one thing I recognize that I do pretty poorly is communications and marketing. Um, uh, for some people, a dream might mean more financial success. A dream for me means more time outside. Um, so what I do really poorly is sit at my desk and promote my work and my business and keep my website updated. But what I'm really good at is spending a lot of time outside climbing mountains and making photographs and going hiking. (laughs)
0: Last time you updated your website was when?
1: Uh, with new photographs, I'm really not sure. <laughs> I am uh, I am very behind on keeping my website update, uh, updated. I the last thing I did on my website was uh, workshop updates. Um, so unfortunately the the best way for people to see some of my most recent work tends to either be on Instagram or Facebook but uh, um, my busy season which tends to be winter has now come to an end so I'm hoping to spend some time over the next few months getting a bunch of new work on my website because it's it's long overdue.
0: So when you're talking about going out and photographing the desert um, you know my mind I'll, I'll, honestly doesn't always go straight to black and white photography. Very, very few times does it go there. What does that do for you and, and why does that attract you as a photographer? So
1: I'll answer this in two parts. Uh, one is okay. more of the teacher and student part, which is the, why why black and white is number one. And and my my standard answer is um, when I'm motivated by things other than color almost always my photograph ends up black and white. Um, and of course, if I'm shooting film, I'm shooting with black and white film. So that's baked into the process. Of course, with DSLR, I can decide what happens, uh, you know, in post-process. However, in the field is where I make all my decisions. And so almost everything that I'm motivated by or moved by with light, line, form, texture, shapes, Those things are completely independent of color to me, and I would most often rather use black and white to express them because black and white gives me great latitude to do lots of things uh, that I cannot do in color without somebody saying, that's not real, that's gaudy, that's uh, oversaturated, whatever the terms may be, um, as you're probably quite aware with black and white there's no limit to what you can't get away with. Nobody ever doubts the veracity or authenticity of a black and white photograph and there's no limit to what you can do to it uh, at which it would become uh, gaudy or oversaturated or anything like that. So um, black and white is a very uh, if you will plastic expressive medium for me whereas with color I feel like I'm much more locked into what is exactly before the camera i tend to represent the color as it is Um, and that leads me to like say when it becomes a colorful spring on the California desert, I cannot deny the color. And color is then the way, the dominant way that I begin to see. And so I become a color photographer for those few weeks a year. Or when it becomes autumn, I'm often, like many other photographers, interested in in seeing and chasing autumn color. And it's inevitable that I'm going to think like a color photographer because the color is really what's motivating me and driving me at that time. Um, but, and and also, you know, black and white has a, a rich tradition and history, and I'm one of those uh, rare fruitcakes where I actually still enjoy developing film, I enjoy working with film, I have no problem scanning and spotting film, it's all tedious for sure, um, but I enjoy the the traditional aspects of black and white photography.
0: Is it safe to say that black and white then for you gives you more creative expression as a photographer?
1: Without question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And in fact, I I think it's where I feel like I have my own uh, most unique voice Uh, with my color work. It's harder for me to say how different it is from others working in color. Um, I mean, I, I can see, how it's different but i think when i look at my own black and white work it's pretty distinctly not looking like anybody else's work today Um, so i think it's a, a a unique niche that i've carved for myself and there's no reason to change that why niche yourself though uh, because I enjoy it. That would be the only reason to do it. Um, you know, the thing is, I still go to plenty of other places that um, landscape photographers do go. Um, but how I really want to express myself is, uh, within my own niche and the place that I feel that I know better and can be more expressive than anybody else. And that is black and white on the California desert. And, you know, uh, what I wanted to mention since you brought it up earlier is, you know, oddly Death Valley National Park, which is a, uh, you know, a huge draw for photographers, increasingly huge draw, um, black, uh, black and white is the medium that I have the hardest time with in Death Valley National Park because it is such an immensely colorful place. Um, so I tend to produce a lot more color work in Death Valley than I do black and white, but almost all my work from the dunes tends to be black and white.
0: That's very interesting because I'm drawn, <clears throat> somebody coming from from Tennessee, which is where I am, going to Death Valley I find myself doing a lot more black and white. And then I get back to Tennessee and I'm like, whoa, it is so green here. And <laughs> maybe we're just yeah. like, we're just like a, a product of our environment. I don't know.
1: There's no question. It's a, it's regional perspectives. And right. And I, I, talk about this with people when I fly across the country, which today is almost never, um, I recall how many times I'd look down right after passing the Mississippi and then realize, and holy cow, look at how green this side of the country is, right? Because <laughs> the whole the whole west side of the country is really dry, and it gets increasingly drier as you move to the Pacific coast. Um, but I'm a California photographer. I'm a product of my environment, the place I grew up in, the place that I know best. And, and in terms of the California desert, There are places that are exceptionally monochromatic and then there are places that are really colorful and Death Valley stands out as the really colorful version of the California desert. There isn't anything as colorful as Death Valley on the California desert. So, yeah, I have a harder time being a black and white photographer there and a much easier uh, time being a black and white photographer everywhere else in the California desert.
0: You mentioned... Quote, unquote, your own words farting around in the landscape uh, <laughs> on your website, I was reading about your past and, and you're just about me and biography page uh, mentioning you were a volunteer ranger for, for a long time. Why did you decide to do that specifically?
1: I thought it would have been a uh, portal to actually uh, getting a job with the United States Forest Service uh, as a mm-hmm. wilderness ranger. But, um, you know, those jobs have become increasingly rare. Um, and, you know sadly we most of the federal jobs now and forest service and the like it's all about firefighting and resources and less about science and visitor contact and so yeah that's what I did was visitor contact you know breaking up fires ensuring that uh, the the users of the wilderness were permitted because permits were required for the particular wilderness I worked in Um, yeah and I did it because I well because uh, I I also wanted to give back to a wilderness area where I cut my teeth. So it was not only a place that I grew up in as a wilderness child, but um, uh, I thought it it would potentially lead to a job with the forest service, which it did, which is fine because, uh, what I did instead was, uh, you know, uh, inspire and educate a lot of people to become better users and stewards of the wilderness. And that's more important than anything else.
0: Yeah. What did, what did you learn from the experience as a volunteer ranger though? Um, that's a good question David um,
1: yeah it's it's hard to say um, <laughs> this this might not be the answer you wanted but uh, uh, the the one thing I, I take away the greatest from it is the Boy Scouts of America they had some pretty poor leadership and it was pretty appalling to me to see some of their leadership uh, in the field um, and their proper lack of uh, chaperoning and guidance and what I would you know how to how to teach their kids the proper set of wilderness ethics and and with boy scout groups especially that seemed to be something that was missing um yeah i don't know that that's my biggest takeaway but that's the thing that most immediately comes to my mind
0: do you think that fueled you to be more of an advocate for the outdoors through your photography though teaching people that way
1: yeah potentially so uh i think there have been many many uh many elements that have done that but that was probably clearly because i recall that the experiences with boy scout leadership to this day so clearly that that was something that bugged me and i thought i could do something better
0: so yeah you know looking through your website and and also seeing trends from a lot of photographers. I have this theory um, that I've shared on the podcast before and with some other people about the progression of photographers. And you alluded to it a a little bit uh, when we were talking just a minute ago about starting out as this person who just shoots everything that that catches their eye and you quickly whittle yourself down into just the things that inspire you and speak to you. Yeah, And I've been seeing so much in nature photography, specifically gravitate towards smaller scenes, um, those those kinds of, of photographs, maybe just one simplistic subject or a natural design, something like that number one have, have you seen the same trend and, and number two what do you think attributes to that so yeah i've uh,
1: certainly seen the trend and um you know i i think it can be attributed to there are so many photographers working today right and everybody is trying anything to set themselves apart um and i think that's that's really what the the driver is. But um, I think without, you know, without deliberately say going after small scenes or some particular element, I think the more important thing uh, to figure out for a photographer wannabe artist is what do you want to say with the camera? You know, what what is the story you want to tell? And obviously being, being a, um, a generalist, you you kind of flail around as a photographer and you don't have any cohesion to your work and if the goal is to create some sense of cohesion and to be known as photographer x then that's something you have to work toward um and in my case it was you know de- being deliberate about the california desert but then also not just it's a geographic biome but it's a place that i'm i'm very um, Uh, in love with i'm passionate about and i've educated myself to to uh to an excessive degree on geology flora fauna and everything so that all of it can inform my photography and make all of my photography tell a much richer story um so you know i think you know like the using the 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 phrase small scenes that just says one thing it's not the grand landscape it's a smaller thing but what is the one thing what would a photographer want to tell what is this the story the cohesive story you want to tell about the work you do um, and that's you know that's what led me to where I am and I think that's a good direction for younger f- photographers to pursue um, you know and, and the, the the term that used to get talked uh, tossed around was personal style right you know how do I how do I create or define my mm. own personal style and the personal style is inevitable because you are a person you have it you just have to become mature as an adult and as a photographer to have something expressive worth seeing and worth saying through the camera um, that is the hard part and that's something that I think has to come independent of the camera it really requires a lot of time to sit around and think about well, what is is it that i want to say with my camera
0: so would you use some of the buzzwords going around right now and this isn't taking nothing away from this style of photography to describe your own photos and, and small scenes intimates natural designs uh, what have you i mean i there's probably four or five more i could think of if you gave me more, more time <laughs>
1: uh i i i'm not a big fan of uh Buzzwords or buzz phrases. Um, you know, I in fact, if you kept naming them, I probably haven't heard of them. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it, the term "intimate landscapes" goes back to Elliot Porter, and many photographers of my generation or the you know the previous generation were greatly inspired by the works of Porter. And Porter didn't shoot the big grand landscape like, say, Ansel Adams. He photographed these small. Seeing smaller pieces of the grand landscape and intimate landscapes was the title he gave to his book into that style of photography um so I, I think you know you could say i work largely in intimate landscapes but not all my work is intimate um plenty of its grand and then some of its really small scaled stuff so I, I don't mind pigeonholing um what i photograph, but pigeonholing a style I think is more useless to me but um, yeah phrases I don't particularly uh, care about but anybody's welcome to add any to my work that they like
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that brings up the interesting question do we worry too much about personal style I think so yeah i think so
1: and of course this comes from somebody who's been photographing for the greater part of his life now so i've had plenty of time to work at it and think about it and realize it but um yeah yeah uh i think the most important thing young photographers can do is just shoot a lot um and in you know as as a teacher Uh, I think this is the number one factor uh, why students um, don't reach the heights that they hope to or wish to with their photography. And it's largely because they built their lives very different than I built my own. And I think it's really hard to have a family and a career and then have on the side this idea that you want to be a professional photographer or I want to develop this photographic style Um, so i think the best thing to do is just shoot shoot a lot think about it a lot and just worry about it if you have some professional aspirations some years down the line but i don't think that's the first thing that should preoccupy a photographer and in fact you know this was not something we talked about 30 years ago so for the first uh For the first 10 years of my photography, I didn't think about personal style and didn't care about personal style because it wasn't anything that got talked about. But during that period, I also sold my first work too. So uh, yeah, I think photographers get really worked up about things that everybody on the outside has no clue about Um, and they shouldn't. I think photographers should just spend a lot of time photographing and figuring out what it is that they want to say before they worry about personal style or anything else.
0: Well, you bring up a lot of interesting points there and and it kind of rings a bell with me and correct me if I'm wrong or you see it differently that a lot of my favorite photographers or a lot of some of the most successful photographers, quote unquote, depending on what your definition of success is, are the ones who are just going out and having fun and and shooting what interests them. And whether that be one thing or a wide range of, you know, travel, street, landscapes, intimates, whatever you want to call it, it's just the ones having the most fun. Yeah. I, I agree with that, yeah. Uh, you know, and and you
1: said it first, but I think success needs to be self-defined. Um, yeah, because if you're if you base it on benchmarks or or a, a certain dollar amount, you may never get there. But if you're having fun doing it, then to me that is the most important part: is having fun doing it. Otherwise, you know, and that goes to everything in life. If why would you do anything that you don't don't enjoy doing?
0: On your website, you have a totally separate page, uh, labeled f- the free work page. Um, why why oh. did you decide <laughs> to create that page, and and what response has it incited from people?
1: Oh. Uh, maybe zero response because I don't, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody lands on it, I don't know about it. Um, and in fact, there might be a copyright date on that page. Um, that, I feel like that page has been there for, I don't know, it could be a decade and, uh, y- you know, this still happens today. Um, but, what well, we uh, should well, preface we,
0: this by okay. like, Like what is it? We should preface this by describing what exactly is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the page explains why I won't work for free, and this is a probably a really big topic that a lot of photographers really should get on board with because. You know, one could say, well, you know, the industry has changed vastly in just two decades. Um, Partially, it's technologically related and partially it's behavioral related. so the, the page, why I won't work for free, the reason why that came to be, um, I did not write that text. That was written by, I don't even remember, but it managed to make its way through the photographic community. And it's a long dissertation on, you know, the bills we have as photographers and the costs that we incur as photographers and why we cannot work for free using some sometimes colorful language. Um, you know, the, the, Irony is that um, we're often asked by other creatives who are getting paid they're asking us for free use of our work. Um, and this happens far too much. And in fact, I won't name his name, but a good friend, he gets, uh, I don't know if he's gotten any recently, but he seems to get regular emails from big publishing houses and colleges and God knows what else, where they're asking for free use of his photographs with the spurious claim that they can't afford, it's not in their budget to buy them. Um, And so people like us, of course, we refuse all of those claims and we refuse all those offers. And of course, the adage is now uh, exposure does not pay the mortgage or pay the car bill or whatever term you want to use for it. But this uh, photographer sadly bought into this idea of exposure, uh, which means absolutely zero. And it always has meant absolutely zero in photography. The only people that that look at bylines or the t- tiny, you know, uh, ownership of the photograph or other photographers. Nobody ever looks at photographs to see who they can go buy that photograph from. That's just not how it works. And so, sadly, what's happened is we have now, uh, who knows how many annual competitions where the ph- photographers actually pay to give up rights to their photographs. Um, there's all sorts of calendar companies, including AAA and. Sierra Club and all these organizations that have these annual photo contests where they harvest a bunch of photographs and they get free use of those photographs in perpetuity and you consign the license to them. And then lastly, as photographers who in their clamor to, to gain success in this increasingly difficult field have been willing to allow free or very, uh, very uh, uh, limited income use of their photographs And so it's, you know, it's outright destroyed the stock photography industry. Um, It's largely destroyed the opportunity to do anything with your photographs that isn't print related because uh, people now or rather those who work in the industry know that they can just keep going down the line. If photographer number one rejects me, I'll try number two. If he rejects me, I'll try number three. Eventually they'll get the photograph they need to publish without paying for it. Um, And that has really upset the industry, has put a lot of people out of business, so on and so forth. So that's what the gist of that page is. Um, I'd like to think that those who are asking for for free work must be seeing it because i rarely get asked for free work any longer um, but uh, i i do not allow any free use of my work because like every other industry business and creative working i have bills to pay to and there is no such thing as exposure that pays those bills i well, hope i adequately answered that
0: Absolutely. And the reason that I wanted to ask you specifically is is somebody who's been doing this for 30 years, 25 years earning some income off of it. Has this always been the case or do you see this kind of increasing along with the increase of digital products and also social media exposure?
1: Yes, sir. It was never the case. And now
0: it is always the
1: case. So, um, I couldn't tell you what my highest earning uh, stock photograph was, but, uh, I, I have a textbook cover for which I was paid a, a fairly handsome sum um, by a, a known textbook publisher. I doubt that happens today. They've never come back to me for another photograph. It was an ecology textbook. Um, and today, well, here's a really good example, Dave, David. Sorry. Um, um, there was a Time magazine cover maybe a few years ago. And it was a. It was the the photo was made by a commercial photographer, and it was uh, a financial photograph. So it was basically a glass piggy bank, a see through glass piggy bank on a seamless white backdrop. Some coins in the bank, some coins scattered on the white backdrop. So that photographer made that photograph for commercial sale. He uploaded it to Getty. I think it was Getty. Um, so it was for sale on Getty, but this is around the time that the stock market had, uh, photography stock market, had already headed south and we had gone into micro stock and royalty free and all this stuff. And Time, rather than go, Time Magazine that is, Time Magazine, rather than going directly to the photographer, they had gone through one of these agencies and I'm pretty sure it was Getty and they paid only five dollars for that photograph (laughs) and so time paid five dollars for a full res cover photograph and the photographer probably only made pennies on that sale and I only came to know about that story because he really complained about it afterward and that was just the the sort of the illustrating what happened to the stock photography market. And in fact, here's another example. I bought one of those, um, uh, I forgot the company now, but it's one of those uh, Atlas gazetteers that, you know, maps for each state. It's not DeLorme, but it's the other big company. And the stock photograph on the cover of that, um, that map was a pretty nice photograph. And I looked at the byline on it only because I'm a photographer and so I looked at the byline on it and then I googled his the photographer's name and the name of that photograph and I found it on the stock site and or a stock site it was one of the bigger ones and that map company paid I believe only $37.50 for that cover image and in the old days that photograph would have easily secured a thousand bucks or more Um, and not necessarily that photographers deserve to be paid a thousand dollars for a cover photograph, but nobody can make a living on pennies per sale. It just can't happen. And so at least, you know, with respect to stock photography, it's pretty much a dead market. I don't know anybody participating in it. But the more... Um, eager photographers that are willing to give away their work in exchange to see their name or their photograph in print, the more it just decimates our industry, and the more it makes it impossible to actually sell a photograph for any reasonable amount of money.
0: What would your advice be to younger photographers then for to kind of write this wrong and and have i don 't know get the respect back to photographers.
1: I I think this is maybe too easy of an answer, but uh, number one is get the software called Photo Quote, F O T O Quote, and bill what Photo Quote says to bill for the use of the photograph. And if the the asker cannot meet the the rate, and there is a the way Photo Quote works is it gives you the high, it gives you the low, and it gives you the middle value, if. If the agency asking for use of your photograph cannot at least meet the the lower value in that range, and that's the number you shouldn't give them anyway, but that's your negotiating range. If they cannot offer you the lower range, and, and photo quotes pricing is built on industry standard, so if they cannot give you what the asking range is for the photograph, the answer is no. And that's that simple. Um, And I don't know what you do to stop photographers from, you can't stop photographers from the, you know, those who want the attention, who want to see their name or photograph and print. Even if it costs nothing, and even or even if they get paid nothing, we can't we can't stop that. But if photographers want to do it the right way, you get photo quotes so that you actually know at least for licensing what it will cost to license a photograph. And the way photo quote is set up, it's for every use you can possibly think of. So you set all the parameters of the use, and it will give you the value range that that photograph is worth. And the the most important answer is no. And I think that's what photographers have to learn is how to say no because no matter what anybody tells you the exposure can never pay for anything it does not bring rewards it doesn't bring success success and it does not pay bills
0: let's wrap this up on a positive note though um for you, to, <laughs> for you I mean, it's a it's an interesting it's a it's a necessary conversation i feel like um yeah yeah Yep. But for you and your photography, where, where do you see it going in the coming few months, few years, and, and what excites you about what's happening with your photography?
1: Um, well, I'm I'm not one who uh, I'm a live-in-the-moment kind of guy, so I don't uh, plan too far ahead. Um, I've had a lot of uh, coffee table book ideas um, in mind that I have yet to actually sit down and start doing the legwork on, I am a little intimidated about uh, releasing a book because I'm afraid it's going to chain me to a desk for too long. But uh, it's something that's been a uh, long-standing goal. There's no question. I have plenty of work to fill out a book. The 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 thing I. I question is whether I have the uh, the commitment to sit at a desk uh, for the length of time required to build that book, and then also the selling that book, marketing and selling it. Um, And mostly, I'm just looking forward to continuing doing what I do now and expanding on what I do. I have, uh, you know, there's a bunch of bodies of work that I've been developing over the last few years, which are not visible on my website. I tend to share those during workshops. I show snippets of what I'm doing and talk about how those projects are being developed, but I'm looking forward to developing those out in the next few years and hopefully sitting down at the desk to actually put them on, on the website.
0: Well, where can people go to find more out about you and and see your work?
1: My website, which is michael-gordon.com, and it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and the last name is G-O-R-D-O-N. You'll also find me on Instagram, and I think it's Instagram.com/forward/slash/michael-e-gordon. Uh, that feed is 100% uh, Death Valley photographs, and uh, I'm on Facebook too. But uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't post too much on uh, on either of those sources but now that uh now that i'll be spending some time at the the uh, desk i'll hopefully be doing some more posting in the days ahead
0: well he's michael gordon michael thank you so much for joining us and talking photography with us thank you david i appreciate the opportunity Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Really excited about today's episode and how it came out. Michael is somebody that I've wanted to get on the podcast for quite some time now. And I'm really glad we talked about the topics that we did Uh, coming unprepared for every single episode, no questions written down or anything like that. We covered a lot of really good topics to educate the public on photography, the value of it. And it was also cool to hear Michael talk about his journey in photography as well. I just want to remind you, if you want to help support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier to support the podcast that fits your budget. And until next week, keep shooting.